part two of the Thursday night sports extravaganza coming up next. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Make this summer the best one yet. Invest in a Simply Safe home security system. I have one. I love it. It's a great way to protect your home when you're not there. Um, you need one, especially during the summer. You know what burglars know? People go away during the summer. That's what happens. So when you're away, you want to make sure your place is protected. You want to make sure that you potentially have little camera things you can watch on your phone to see what, what's happening at your house, at your front door, inside. You deserve some peace of mind. Get it today with Simply Safe. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. If you missed part one of this podcast, me and Rob Mahoney and Wozni Lambre talked about Giannis's shocking exit from round one, as well as what it meant for the best player alive championship belt. Who are the candidates? Who's going to be holding it in June? We broke it down. And then some. Part two, can talk to Shio Kapati at the top about the NFL draft round one. Another really fun roller coaster ride. And then Big Waz comes back to talk Celt Talks, the Celt Survive. And we take a look at the round two matchups as well. It's all next. First, our friends from Pro Jam. <laughs> All right, tape of this part of the podcast. It is 9 o'clock Pacific time. Round one of the NFL draft just ended. Shio Kapadia from The Ringer is here. He hosts uh, one of the podcasts on The Ringer NFL show as well as a Pulitzer Prize winning podcast, The Ringer's Philly Special, which has just been lively as hell since we launched it. Uh, before we get into all the draft storylines, one of the weirdest things happened today. Lamar Jackson, the saga that we've been waiting for for a million years to end. And it just seemed like, oh, we'll get through the draft and then some team is going to offer him them to first and and he'll be on another team. And then a couple hours before the draft, all of a sudden he's re-signing for the biggest contract in NFL history. What did the, what did the timing say to you that they did this right before the draft? I think the Jalen Hurts contract had a lot to do with it. Now, that wasn't right before the draft, so I don't know if that was a PR thing to announce it right before the draft and generate some good buzz. But after Hurts signed that contract, you know, I just had the thought, if the Ravens call Lamar Jackson right now and offer him this exact same contract, what does he say? Because Lamar was comparing himself to, you know, the Deshaun Watson contract a year ago, but that 
looks like it's going to be a huge outlier. I mean, Herbert's up, Burrow's up. It doesn't look like anyone's going to match that at all. So uh, maybe he reconsidered a little bit. Maybe the Ravens said, hey, we'll bring our offer up to beat that Jalen Hurts contract and let's meet in the middle somewhere and let's just put this behind us and move forward with the draft and the offseason. So uh, usually things are not a win-win, but that kind of felt like a win-win for both the player and the team. It wasn't a win-win for content. It wasn't a win-win for the ringer. <laughs> Couldn't right. this have happened on like a Monday so we could have just gotten a whole day of content out of it? Jesus. Why do you have to do it three hours for the draft? I did wonder like if there was a little bit of a deadline element to it where once we get past the draft and people have no idea where they're picking in 2024, it makes it a little easier to stomach giving up two firsts for Lamar. And then you also factor in, oh, we'll be better if we get Lamar. So if you're Baltimore, it's like, man, maybe we have to wrap this up before the draft. Otherwise, who the hell knows? What if somebody doesn't get the quarterback they thought they were going to get? Or what if somebody gets hurt in the next three weeks? Or it just, I to me, the timing did not seem coincidental, but I don't know if I'm overthinking it. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point if you're the Ravens, because like, like you said, if you're a team that went into this draft and was like, we're going to get a quarterback but you end up, you leave the draft and you don't have one. And like you said, GMs are like, all right, they don't want to give up draft picks in this year's draft. But if it's a year away, they're like, you know, who cares? That's a long way away. We can at least explore it. But it just seems like from start to finish there, there was not a lot of interest from teams in Lamar Jackson where they weren't they weren't sure about how much of that guaranteed money he really wanted, what his demands were, where like we didn't even have any news of a meet. I thought a team would at least like take a meeting here and we can talk about some of the teams later that maybe uh, should have. But yeah, you're, you're right. The timing maybe motivated the Ravens a little bit to come up from where they were. Yeah. And we talked, we've talked on a bunch of our different podcasts about some of the teams, like a team like Carolina that traded up all that capital move up to number one, when they probably could have traded a similar amount of capital just to get Lamar Jackson, who is one of the best winning record quarterbacks with the 60 game sample size that we've had the last 30 years. So I don't know. Timing was strange. I thought it was strange he didn't represent himself, but obviously he's proven agents overrated. He just <laughs> did it all himself. I don't know if an agent could have helped maybe facilitate a different trade, but he ended up basically reading what the Jalen Hurts contract details were. It'd be like, give me that and maybe a few dollars more and I'm probably good. And that's it. Now they have a quarterback. They draft a receiver. I think in the first round, what was that? The 13th straight year they've drafted a receiver in the first round, 15th straight year. Yeah. So, something like that, I don't know, right? something like that. So they got another toy for him. Uh, all right, biggest surprise for you in round one? Biggest surprise was the Detroit Lions. I, I don't want to just come on here and just start crushing the Detroit Lions, but my goodness, if you're a Lions fan, you go into this draft and you go, we have six and we have 18. Like, it, it was a very exciting draft for the Lions. And I feel like America, you know, the neutral football fans want to wrap their arms around the Lions and be like, we, we like you, Lions. You're, you know, the positive vibes now. And they spent, you know, they trade back, which was fine. I thought that was a smart trade back. And then went 12, back from six to six to 12, right? Six to 12. It was a good trade. You get more draft capital. All right. Things are still looking good with the Lions. And then things turned for the Lions. I mean, at number 12, they take Jameer Gibbs from Alabama, who is a nice player, but you're going to spend that pick on a running back after you pay David Montgomery $6 million per year in free agency. I mean, that to me was a wild move. And then they have a second first round pick and they go off ball linebacker, Jack Campbell 
from Iowa. You look at any draft board, there are all these consensus draft boards that, you know, aggregate uh, a bunch of smart analysts like our own Danny Kelly. Nobody had this guy in the top 40. I mean, if you love that guy, move back again, figure out a way to get him later. But just think about how the night started. If you're a Lions fan, you thought, hey, maybe Anthony Richardson falls to us. Maybe we'll take a shot on Jalen Carter at six if our coaching staff feels like they can handle him. And now you don't get anyone like that. You get a running back and an off-ball linebacker. That, to me, was just, man, I feel like the Lions vibes really took a turn tonight. I agree with you. Um, I thought for sure they were going to take Christian Gonzalez at 12 because they needed a cornerback, right? And that was, you know, he was going to be somewhere in that 8 to 14 range, it seemed like. There are only two high-end cornerbacks in the draft. Um so they they take a running back at 12. I wasn't even crazy about Bijan Robinson going eight, even though we all agree he's <laughs> yeah. one of the three best parts of the draft. Um, <laughs> but it's just like just the history of that. I don't know how many examples we need, um, but at least if you're going to do it in the top 12, you want to do it with a guy that people say, this is the best running back in four years and five years. The the Gibbs thing. I, I thought, I agree with you. I thought that was nuts, especially for a team that's really close to the Super Bowl that lost Jamal Williams, who seemed like he was one of the leaders of the team, and you could have just brought him back and used that position somewhere else. I look at the draft sometimes where you look at the free agent spending, right? Where it's like, where what, what positions get the most money whenever teams have money? It's always quarterback, it's left tackle, it's defensive end, um, it's cornerback. Like there are these really prized, hard to find skill positions. And if you can find one of those spots in the top 20 was somebody who can play for you next year. I would prioritize that over everything. They said when they took, uh, when the Jets took Will McDonald, that was another one where they were like, that's a fit pick. I, fit picks to me, I, I just don't get it if you're in the top 20. I think you have to go talent and the hardest positions to fill. Um, but I don't know. I've been watching the draft a long time. It always seems like that recipe works. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's why positional value matters because if you can, like these wide receivers now are getting paid, what, over $20 million per year. Think about the Vikings. When they draft Justin Jefferson, you're paying almost nothing for him and you're getting somebody who's actually a $20 million per year. play. It's the same thing with the quarterback rookie contracts, right? Everybody yeah. has talked about that for years, but you're right. It applies to different positions, wide receiver, pass rusher, tackle, all those things. Uh, like Saquon Barkley, what did he sign for, $10 million? Yeah, and he, he was probably one there. of the the six or seven best running backs last year. Yeah, and it's like that's kind of the price if you're a top seven running back. And he, even if you know Austin Eckler, he was batting his eyelashes at everybody during the off season, and he was really good for the last couple of years. But what's the price for a guy like that? It's like I don't know, nine to eleven million, right? Yeah, not, not, I mean, less than that for some of these guys. Honestly, that's why the franchise tag is in, is a nice use because you just have to sign the guy for one year at whatever it is, 10 million, 8 million's been kind of that sweet spot. And then some guys have gone way yeah. over that, like Christian McCaffrey. But yeah, you're, then you're talking about the elite, uh, of the elite guys. And, and honestly, most of those contracts haven't worked out. I mean, the Titans with Derrick Henry, the, uh, the Panthers with Christian McCaffrey, you can go on and on when you pay that running back to a second contract. We have a long history now that it usually is not going to be a good idea. Zeke, uh, it's going to be something that you end up regretting. And so, um, yeah, well, then on the flip Gibbs side, the Buffalo, would they get Damien Harris for? It was like one year, three million or one year. Exactly. Last two million I think it was under two. Yeah. Under two. And yep. what'd you get uh, in Philly? What'd you get? Um, 
the oh, Seattle Rashad running Penny? back for? Yeah, I, I think he was like six hundred like thousand guaranteed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's crazy. So, yeah, so I, you can I, take flyers with on you. those I, guys. I fundamentally disagree with drafting a running back that high, unless it's a Bijan Robinson example. That you know, Atlanta they loaded up with all these weapons. Will Levis was sitting there, really for everybody from pick seven on, and nobody bit. But um, they have Robinson, they have Cordero Patterson, Kyle Pitts, fantasy murderer, murdered just <laughs> thousands and thousands of fantasy teams all over the place. They got Drake London. It's just all of these weapons. They built this really fancy Italian race car, and unfortunately, they have like a 75-year-old driving it. Um, I, I was not a fan of what I saw from Ritter last year. I don't understand. Why are you loading up with all these weapons, but you don't have a quarterback? I mean, they're the team that first came up when Lamar was available and they said no immediately. And when you were just talking about him at the top here, I mean, that was the team I thought of. You're absolutely right. They've had three top 10 picks. They have not used any on a quarterback or on the lines of scrimmage. I mean, like you said, they've got, I mean, that's not, that's one way to build a team. That's generally, you know, the old school smart football types would not say that's the best way to build a team. So it's just like, how many years are you going to kick the can down the road? And by the way, you mentioned Cordero Patterson. Last year, they had the number three rushing DVOA offense in the NFL with Tyler Algier and Cordero Patterson. Like, is that, I love B. John Robinson. Like, I can't wait to watch him play in the NFL. He's going to be a fantastic player. But again, to the conversation we were just having, is that the best use of resources for a team that has no quarterback, no pass rush, uh, and needs a lot of help with their roster? Could you have traded back and made a couple picks? I mean, uh, only the, they know the answer to that. But yeah, as much as I love Bijan Robinson and can't wait to watch him play, even that pick, I would put that in kind of my, didn't, didn't really like that column from the first round. Yeah, I thought Jalen Carter would have been the ballsy pick. And I think some teams were probably afraid to go near him, you know, but you just look at fundamentally who's a bigger asset in the NFL, Jalen Carter or Bijan Robinson. I, I'm so glad you brought up Tyler Algier. I fucking loved that guy last year. I thought he was like one of the best random Sunday ticket guys, especially near the end of the season. Like he, every time he ran the ball, it was like five, six yards. He was bulldozing over people. Running back would not have been a position I felt like I needed to address, as good as everybody thinks Robinson is. Uh, Philly, team you've been covering, I don't know, I would say extensively on the Ringers Philly special. <laughs> they end up with Jalen Carter, and then they go back in in number, number 30, and it's like, really? This dude's going to fall to them too? The other Georgia guy who everybody thought yeah. was going to go in the 10 to 12 range, they get him too, they beef up their defense, Somebody on Twitter listed all of their best defensive players, if you include the two rookies. It was kind of staggering. Um, this is a team that went to the Super Bowl last year and added two starters who at least might be impact guys. I'm not, I think Carter seems like an everyday guy. I'm not sure about the other guy, but it seems like they added two more impact guys. This is unusual for the Super Bowl hangover shield. Uh, I, I know. Yeah, they, they had the 10th pick because of the Saints. So they had the 10th pick going into this draft. I thought Jalen Carter, and this isn't homerism. I said this a week ago. I thought he was the best player just on film in the draft. Like when I watched him doing draft prep, I was just like, holy cow, this guy is quick. He's powerful. He's just like tossing guys uh, like Reggie White. And so there was no question about his film. It's a real boomer bust pick. I mean, I think Chris Mortensen said at least three teams ahead of the Eagles didn't have Carter on their board at all. So like the off field is, is legit. Now 
I look at this sometimes and I wonder what you think about this. Like, I feel like NFL teams go into the draft and they just want like ready-made, you know, like they, they're always complaining, aren't they? Like, oh, this guy played in this scheme. This guy didn't run enough routes. And it's like, your job is kind of to coach and put these guys in the right environment and support them. And if they're talented, get the most out of them. So I always feel like, listen, there's some lines you don't cross and there's risk reward to everything. But if a guy has the talent to be like a, you know, top three defensive tackle in the NFL for the next five to eight years, I feel like that's a risk worth taking. Now, a year from now, it could all go to hell and we could be like, oh my gosh, Jalen Carter, we didn't know how serious those off the field issues were. They know that better than we do. But uh, yeah, I think Eagles fans are thrilled that that they took the risk on him. Yeah, if you ask me to choose which path, either, oh man, remember when they took Jalen Carter? Jesus, so many problems with that dude. Or I'm reading the story in the Seth Wickersham story in ESPN, the magazine two years from now about the bond between Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis. And um, (laughs) once Jalen Carter found the Eagles, his whole life fell into place. And now he's the best, you know, defensive lineman in the league. Like to me, that, that, that path seems more probable. This is a great spot for him. Like he goes to a team like Atlanta, whatever you're on a weird defense. You're in a big city, lots of ways to get in trouble versus like you're on a team now that has, a really good locker room, a coach that everybody seems to like, a ton of talent, a fan base that can really go either way on a guy depending on what they show. If it's somebody who's, you know, a little soft, it, I don't know, like if you had a basketball player who maybe quit after a playoff series and then refused to play again, might not go over that well in the city, like a guy who might have my last name. On the flip side, the talented enigmatic, but man, you put him in and all of a sudden, like he blossoms, like Philly loves those guys. So I, and on top of it, you really needed him because you lost your D lineman, one of them. And it didn't seem like you had the same defense. And now you added two guys. I I think, I thought the Eagles were one of the big winners, obviously. I mean, everybody does. Yeah, I, I think it worked out great for them for the points you just mentioned. Yeah, I think fans will really get behind him and be like, our, you know, all he has to do is wo- like one rep at training camp or the first preseason game or whatever, and they're going to go nuts. And you're right, it was a position of need. I mean, they lost a bunch of starters on defense in free agency, including Hargrave goes from the Eagles to the yeah. 49ers. They really didn't have that interior pass rush. And again, like he's somebody who just in college was capable of just wrecking games. I mean, you know, the the highlights were pretty uh, amazing with him. And then they get Nolan Smith, the edge rusher at 30, which I thought they might draft him at like 10 or if they move back a little bit uh, in the first round. So you never know. It could all go horribly. But uh, as far as like expectations going into the night and then after the night, I think Eagles fans are are probably as excited as any any fan base right now. And you signed Jalen Hurts. Yeah. And... You know, I, I thought maybe they would try to trade up to get Jalen Carter, especially the way the draft started to fall when Arizona moved back up and they took Paris Johnson at six to tackle. And I was like, oh, they're going to move into that Vegas spot and take Jalen Carter. And they didn't. Vegas took Tyree Wilson. Um, we'll see if that one comes back to haunt them. Maybe, you know, they, they've had some issues with some players in the past and the Las Vegas thing. Maybe Carter was too risky for them, but um, it really fell for them. The other team that really took a swing was Houston. Houston takes CJ Stroud second, who was uh, at various points was supposed to go in the top two, seemed like he was free falling. All of a sudden he was back. And then the guy that I think a lot of people thought they should have taken, including me, 
Will Anderson, where it's like, what do you care if you get a quarterback or not? You're not going to be good anyway. Just take the best defensive player. They trade back up. They trade 12, 33, a 24 first, and a 24 third to move up nine spots. That was a lot. And if this was really any other team, I think we'd be going nuts about it. But Shield, nobody cares about the Texans. It's like, if the Texans make a monster trade in the forest, does anybody hear it? Yeah, we were discussing what, what do we what do we lead the segment with? I'm like, I don't, does anyone care about the Texans? That was probably the biggest uh, move. But I mean, when you just read like the trade terms out loud, think about that. How many pl- non-quarterbacks in the NFL would be worth the 12th pick, the 33rd pick, a future first, and a future third? I, I like Will Anderson a lot. Like I, I think he could be like a, a TJ Wattish type defensive player, but now he like has to be that to justify what you gave up there. Yeah, I thought that was uh I had a hard time with that one because I really like the player, but I'm like, the Texans, you're not like one pass rusher away. You need you need right. all, you have like the worst roster in the NFL. Just chill a little bit. By the way, that's their own first round pick, I believe it was reported uh next year that they're giving up. Like they could be one of the five worst teams in the NFL next year. I mean, that could be like such a valuable pick next year. So uh, I would not have made that move if I were them as much as I love uh, Will Will Anderson. I thought that was a crazy amount to, to give up for, uh, for a non-quarterback. Can I give you a possible scenario that might explain what happened? All so right, we know I'm the excited. owner wanted a quarterback, right? That, that was, the whisper campaign was pretty strong that the owner was like, we gotta, I can't, not watch a team that doesn't have a future a quarterback. You got to get me one. And Casario maybe didn't want the quarterback. This feels like a compromise where they're arguing about CJ Stroud or Will Anderson. And it's like, well, I'll give you the quarterback, but can I trade from 12 to three and give up 43 next year's first and then third to get my guy and then we can both win? And the owner's like, Sure. And then if you're Casera, you're you're probably out after this year anyway, right? The odds of CJ Stroud coming in and being awesome in year one, I would say probably five to one, six to one, seven to one. I highly doubt it. So now if you're if you're uh Casera, you're just like, well, what do I care? I, I probably am not gonna be here in a year anyway. What do I care? What happens with the first round pick? So everybody wins, and then you have the the slight puncher's chance that this works out great. Will Anderson is the is the fucking dominant guy everybody thought. And maybe you lucked out with CJ Stroud. Did you like CJ Stroud heading into this draft? Uh, I did. I wouldn't say like I loved him and was over the moon. I did think they needed to draft a quarterback at two unless they just didn't like anybody at all. Because I, I kind of thought all the quarterback prospects in this draft, uh, you know, at least the top three guys were sort of better. I like them better than I feel like uh, most people were giving them credit yeah. for. I mean, Stroud, if nothing else, like he should have a high floor. I mean, he can work from the pocket. Uh, probably the most accurate passer from this class. And I thought he showed upside when you saw him play Georgia at the end of the season. It was like a version of CJ Stroud we had not seen before. So uh, I'm fine with that pick. I didn't like doing both. I think your theory is a good one. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, you, you and your wife disagree on where to order food from and you're like, hey, it's DoorDash. Like, <laughs> we, listen, we can easily, let's just get both. They'll both come yeah. here and uh, we don't have to worry about it. We'll get Thai food and Chinese. It'll be great. <laughs> um, I'm looking at the NFL futures right now on FanDuel and the Chiefs are still favored six to one and the Eagles are plus 850 in the conference. Now, heading into this draft, you figure there are four loaded 
NFC, not even loaded, but the NFC is not as strong as the AFC, I don't think. Philly was the favorite again. Then from a roster standpoint, it's looking like Dallas. It's looking like Detroit, San Francisco, and then kind of Seattle as a wild card, depending on what they did in the draft. My Seattle friends are very happy what they did with the draft. (laughs) They did not take a risk on a quarterback. They even passed on Will Levis the second time. Would you put them in the top five of the NFC now based on what they did today? I was actually just thinking about this as I was going through the first round and looking at it. Uh, Geno Smith, huge winner uh, from tonight. Like you mentioned, I thought there was a real chance that if Anthony Richardson slipped to five, that the Seahawks might take him and figure it out. That didn't happen. And then they get him the best wide receiver, I think, in the draft, Jackson Smith and Jigba uh, at 20. So now you have Smith and Jigba. Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf with, with Geno Smith and and two second year offensive tackles. Like, uh, I kind of think I yeah. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of a team I would put uh, ahead of them for five. And I was looking at the odds also earlier this week, and the Seahawks were way down uh, in the NFC. I don't know if that that changed at all with the draft. Sometimes we overrate how uh, you know what the impact rookies can make, but uh, I feel like their offense is going to be tough to deal with. I mean, I think they were what top eight, top 10 in DVOA last year. You at Smith and Jigba, like he could win offensive rookie of the year. I mean, he is somebody who profiles as a wide receiver who can come in and play well right away. And then of course they get uh, the corner, Devon Witherspoon uh, to, to pair with Tariq Wool in their corner from last year. So yeah, I like I like a lot uh, about that team. And uh, I, I would have no arguments about saying uh, they're the fifth best team in the NFC. Well, Fando for the NFC odds, Philly plus 330. San Fran plus 350, which is crazy to me because, like, do do we know who San Francisco's quarterback is yet? It might be Sam Darnold. Uh, yeah. Dallas, 7 to 1. Detroit, 9 to 1. New Orleans is 14 to 1, which I don't understand at all. Minnesota, 16 to 1. Green Bay, 18 to 1. And coming in eighth in the NFC, Seattle at 20 to 1. I don't agree with that at all. I think yeah. Seattle's going to be pretty good and they have a puncher's chance to uh, take control of that division if San Francisco can't figure out their quarterback situation. I like those Seattle odds and that receiver core. Holy shit. Yeah. If, if JHN's good right away, that's about as good of a threesome. Who has a better threesome receiver-wise from a talent standpoint than those guys? Anybody? I, I was trying to think. I, I don't know that there's a team that has three Miami? wide receivers that good. Tyreek and Waddle, who's their third? Yeah, I don't. They, I guess they don't have ro- one. Yeah, yeah, rotate a third guy. So there are pairings that are better if you mix in tight ends. You can put other yeah. uh, groups in there. But if you're just looking at the three best wide receivers, and that's the way uh, the league has gone, and a, a pocket passer who's accurate like Geno Smith, I mean. Yeah, there, there's a lot to work with there. And, and the thing with Seattle is they killed the draft last year. So now all, you're yeah, like, they don't have an old roster. Like they have a bunch of young players who should theoretically be better this year uh, than they were last year. So uh, I, I oh, think Saruti has spot. that. Saruti offers the Bengals. Yeah. So you got Chase, Chase, Chase Boyd, Higgins, and Higgins. Boyd. Yeah, I, I would probably take them. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. All right. So at least in the NFC, uh, two other plots and then we'll go. The uh, <laughs> Green Bay. Actually, three more plots. Green Bay flips with the Jets and then up with Lucas Van Ness, who was described on the NFL Network's coverage as having violent hands. That was that was their read on him. But good pass rusher. Ironically, somebody the Jets probably could have used. And then the Jets got Will McDonald. So it was just interesting that that flip of those picks um, actually might have mattered. Like, I, I think the Jets might have actually taken Lucas Van Ness. 
the Pats trade down from 14 to 17, as they always do. Like, God forbid we ever just stay and grab somebody. And yet this time, the guy that I was hoping they would either take take uh, Christian Gonzalez or the Ohio State receiver, because I want impact guys. It's not like the Pats are loaded with blue chippers, right? They have a lot of a lot of pink chippers, and a lot of red chippers, but the blue chip, blue chip uh, pile is not deep. And they yeah. trade back, and then nobody takes Christian Gonzalez, and they take him 17th. And I'm getting congratulation texts from people like Mina Kimes. Sheila, I felt I felt like I got invited to the prom. I was so excited. The Pats had a fun <laughs> NFL draft. It's true. Listen, I wanted nothing else than to come on and like make fun of you for something weird that Bill Belichick did in the first <laughs> round. I was really looking forward to that yeah. when, I, when I heard I was going to uh, join you. But uh, they picked a player who I love. I mean, I, he was my favorite corner in the draft. I liked him better uh, than Witherspoon, uh, better than Banks, better than the other guys who went in the first round. I mean, six foot one. He's runs four three eight. I thought his film was great. Like he doesn't get beat deep. He's not scared. Like he's like, I can get in your face because if I get beat a little bit, uh, I can recover because I'm that fast. So to trade down and get him at 17, uh, yeah, as much as it pains me to say, uh, I think the Patriots were one of the winners absolutely uh, in the first round. They get draft capital. They take a premium position, a great athlete, someone who should be able to help them for a long time. So I thought that was a great pick. Can I ask you a question? Why does yeah. it pain you? The Patriots, we're done. Our, <laughs> our, our hair is over. We're, we're like a nine and eight team. You should, you should feel pity for us. We're a 500 team. You're up here with Mac Jones as our quarterback. They try to trade him for a month. That's true. That's, maybe it's the maybe it's the you know the twenty one year old self, Donovan McNabb. I, I get and the, it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you know it. how it goes. It cuts deep. All right, last one. Anthony Richardson goes to the Colts at four. It just feels perfect. It feels like the perfect, perfect team for him. Shitty division. Um, gets to go a team that'll have no expectations next year. I just liked it. I liked the fit. I was glad I went there. I was worried if he went to Seattle. Then we're in this whole Geno and Anthony. When is Anthony Richardson going to play? And the team's kind of a little too good. He can go to Indianapolis now. He could be in a crap rebuilding team. Maybe not even play for a year because my guy Minshew is there. Maybe Minshew holds the fort. He can learn under the tutelage of Gardner Minshew um, and take over a year from now. But I absolutely love that spot for him. If I had to pick any team in the top 12 that I wanted him to go to, like Tennessee, I don't know. Like I, To me, like Tennessee, that's a multi-year rebuilding project with, with, or with the cap. Indianapolis, they were kind of already started rebuilding last year. Um, I just like the spot. What'd you think of the spot for him? Yeah, I, I was hoping Detroit for him if he fell a little bit, but uh, that, that that didn't happen. Seattle, I was intrigued by, but your point's a good one because like it really worked out for the Colts. I thought going in, the Colts were one of the most unpredictable teams because the owner's volatile. The GM probably feels like he's coaching for his job. It's a first-year head coach. Like Nothing was going to surprise me, and they just sat there. And the quarterback fell to them. Like that is a huge win for the Colts. And they hired Shane Steichen 
from the Eagles as their head coach. I don't know if he's going to be good or not, but we know that he has experience working with the quarterback who can run, kind of spread it out, use the quarterback's legs. Don't make it overly complicated with him like some of these old school NFL types. So uh, I'm excited for Richardson there. Now, the supporting cast is not great, but Richardson and Jonathan Taylor, if nothing else, like that run game should be really tough to handle uh, on a weekly basis. It's not a great division. So yeah, I like that fit. Uh, I like the Bryce Young fit too. I know, you know, it feels like Panthers fans are a little like, did we take the right guy? I think Bryce Young's going to be awesome in Carolina. I mean, I think people are overthinking it way too much. The guy missed one game in two years in the SEC. I mean, he threw, what, 80 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. And so when you were reading out those odds and had the Saints so high, I'm like, I don't know if the Saints are, you know, maybe you were just a year early with your Panthers love and your Panthers prediction. We should, you know, we can talk about that in the months ahead because I think the Panthers could be good this year uh, with Bryce Young and that support. I agree with you. Also, think about that division. Like, is anyone going to win 10 games in that division? Nine and eight might take it. I was bummed that they lost Foreman because I really liked how he ran for them the second half of the year. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, weird division. Then you talk about the AFC South, also a weird division, which went from basically Trevor Lawrence and no other quarterbacks to now we have Trevor Lawrence, we have CJ Stroud, we have Anthony Richardson, we have three top four quarterbacks. Yeah. And then Bob, Joe, and Jerry in Tennessee. I have no idea who who's Tennessee's quarterback gonna be. Is it, they're just gonna patch it together? Who is it? I guess it's it's Tannehill for now, and then we'll see. They might just be Oof. kicking the can down the road a year and, and seeing what happens. Yeah, that feels like a full reboot. Well, I'll tell you this, Shield. We had Grantland 2011 to 2015, and then the ringer from basically the start of 2016 on. And I know how this goes with the staff when the staff mobilizes behind a team, a player. I feel like Richardson and the Colts, I just feel like the that's going to be very ringery. Just coming out of the gates, there's a lot of Ringer fans of of Richardson, and I could just, I just feel like he's going to be a guy for us. I've seen it happen. It's my prediction. I could see that. Yeah, I think the Lions were probably trending a little in that direction, but that momentum might have halted with the way they drafted yeah, it here. Hit a guardrail uh, in the first round. Yeah, so you kind of need a replacement team. So I don't. I'm new here. I don't know. I'm still new. I don't know if there's a draft or something, or if this stuff happens organically. But I could absolutely uh, see that too between some of our uh, staffers that they're going to get behind. Yeah, Richardson we know. There's some team for sure. <laughs> we have some Richardson ringleaders. They know who they are. Uh, and then Will Levis never gets drafted. So he goes to the second round. And my guess, just from past history, is people will jockey for that 33rd pick. And you know that's going to be the Will, Lev- Will Levis spot. And I don't know who, who trades up for him, but usually that's what happens with that top pick, right? Is, is there somebody else that you think could be lurking as like the guy for 33? No, or, I think I guess interesting- it's 32 this year, not 33, because Miami didn't have a first-round pick. Right. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, if a team really liked Levis, they were incentivized to trade to the back end of the first round because then you get that fifth year option, which is like if you have a quarterback Mm. that's very valuable. So uh, I don't know what it was. There was some reporting about a a toe injury. I I thought he was going to go at some point in the first round. But, you know, sometimes there's that quarterback who who slips, who we think, all right, the league's going to like him more than they do. And uh, he ends up falling to the second round. So yeah, him and Hendon Hooker, neither of them went in the first round where I think people thought there's a chance we get five quarterbacks in the first round. I'm tired. Solak had me in a tizzy two days ago <laughs> thinking the Pats were going to trade for Will Levis. I'm getting tired of all the Philly fans on staff. I might have to do a 
invite everybody to a retreat, then do a bore on the floor thing and just have all the <laughs> Philly guys rolling around on the floor, picking up sausage. I've had it with you guys. So that comes to LA. It's like, I'm going to just get Simmons going with this Will Levis thing. Will Levis doesn't even go in the first round. What the <laughs> yeah. fuck was that? I might send Solak home in, in the luggage pile. Listen, as, as someone who, who pods with Solak for, Solak for roughly like seven hours a week, uh, he, he'll let some takes fly. You got to call him out <laughs> on it and uh, let him know about it. So yeah, that, that experience, uh, I know how to deal with them. All right. Well, you're, gonna, you're off to go take Briggers Philly special with him, talking about those Eagles picks and a whole bunch more. Sheil, great to see you. Are you writing for the website tomorrow? Uh, no, not for tomorrow. Yep. Just okay. uh, do, right. doing the pods and we'll do the Ringer NFL show uh, after the uh, third day of the draft. All right. You did a great job for us this month. I really enjoyed reading it. Good to see you. Thanks. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need. Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, taping this part of the podcast, a little past 8 o'clock Pacific time. Big Waz is here, Wazney Lambre, and he's catching me right after I had a near stroke as the combination of the Patriots <laughs> trading down and the Celtics... Semi sleepwalking through. I don't know. I feel like game six is our important in a series was. Usually there's yeah. only, it's seven games. There's only two games left. Uh, but they finally threw some defensive stops, made a couple threes, and they have now advanced to round two. I'm going to throw this question at you. You get you, fork in the road. You get two choices. Choice A, great series for the Celtics to put some hair on their chest. Need a little hair in your chest from round one. That'll get you nice ready for round round two. Or 
Choice B, how the fuck did it take you this long to put away the Hawks? I'm I'm choice A for sure because watching this game, it's funny. I I, did, I was like, I don't want to text Bill right now because I know that Bucks game is still <laughs> looming in his head. I already know the wheels were spinning like, Jesus Christ, if we go to game seven, like, are these guys literally going to put our season on the brink? But, you know, they to me, the Celtics have officially become a veteran group, right? In the sense that they sleepwalked specifically on defense, knowing that they could score on will and with... Four minutes left in this game, five minutes left in this game. They put the screws to these guys and they showed their defensive medal, which I think is going to be the hallmark of this team if they ultimately reach their goals. And so that was heartening to see, like, when Brown just punches, you know, uh, DeJounte Murray's shot off the board. He hadn't been doing that all game, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's in the final minutes they finally decide, like, all right, let's 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 get rid of these guys. They're generating wide-open shot after wide-open shot every possession. I don't think they ever really felt threatened by this bunch. So, you know, I think when they face Philadelphia, it's going to be a worthy opponent, and you're going to see their best. It was the, it was the whole kit and caboodle of this Celtics team. There was a lot of the settling and and just hawking up the threes and, you know, blowing 10-point leads. Those and, two Marcus Smart threes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then the Marcus Smart <laughs> sub back in, six and a half minutes left. Brick three. Oh, no. Turns the ball over first. Then a brick three. They leave them open. Another brick three. And I was like, oh, my God, we're going to do this again. But, uh, but then you see the other side of it. And one of the things was he put in Grant Williams, who ended up playing, I think, a big chunk of crunch time. Uh, because he was going for the defense intensity switch on everything lineup and it worked. And uh, and for whatever reason, they finally found the defensive identity, which weird is White was on the bench, who has been probably the most consistent defensive player on the team all year. So I look at it, Tatum hit a couple big shots. He finished with 30, 14, and seven. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked in part one of, uh, of the pod we did with Mahoney about when we we're talking about who could potentially take the best championship uh, player belt from uh, Giannis. Could Tatum get there? He's too inconsistent. I was talking about the frustrating thing is, does he put his impact on these games enough? It felt like he was on this game a lot. And so was Jalen. Jalen finished with 32, a couple big defensive plays. They took 45 shots between them. Was And uh, and it was, those are the engines of the team. The big X factor, as always, is Marcus, who ended up playing 33 minutes. This was a good Marcus game. And he made the no, 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 yes, three, (laughs) basically to clinch it. Uh, The whole whole package of him, too. And then Joe Mazzula burning his challenge with like five minutes left on a call that they had no chance to win. Then they actually needed it and have it. But uh, yeah, look, man, I I don't know if I can do this for three more rounds, Waz. I don't know I don't, if I can handle this team emotionally. I, I, do I have to start smoking again? Should I try gummies? <laughs> should I just start drinking every day? What What should be my advice? Because coffee is not going to do it with this team. Is Xanax out of the question? Um, it's legal no, I, now in the in the CBA. Xanax was legalized is, in the NBA is CBA. That real? Yeah. Is that real? <laughs> they legalized Xanax and and uh, there's no needle testing for HGH for two of the things oh, that uh, that jumped out. Yeah. I think that's good for the sport, honestly, the HGH <laughs> portion of it anyway. But no, I, I, I honestly think they're going to take the Sixers seriously. I like the matchup of the Sixers for them. Yeah. Obviously, their big man depth. Uh, historically, Big Al has had some nice moments against Embiid um, defensively. And I just think James Harden is cooked. Uh, just the idea of him as some 
actual threat against Brown or Tatum guarding that guy, they're going to swallow that dude whole, um, in my opinion. And then, you know, in the conference finals, they get to play against either the Knicks or the zombie heat. It's <laughs> This is amazing how this is all shaping up for you guys, Bill. Two teams that have played the Celtics very well this season and are not afraid of the Celtics and are totally convinced they could beat the Celtics. The Philly matchup's been really good for them this season. Um, they've been able to go smaller and and mm-hmm. push the pace on them. They have multiple guys to throw at Embiid. And just in general, like, they play fast against them and they even ramp it up a tiny bit. And I think that's it's a pretty nice series for them. It's interesting. Miami Knicks... You just want them to beat the hell out of each other for seven games. And Fights, they will. suspensions. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all it's all happening. Just, yeah, <laughs> just the, let's make that a rugby match. Let's go football. People wearing the, those helmets on their heads. Um, but I think for this, I think ultimately I've landed an okay place with the Celts in this series. But this this got pretty dark after Game Five. I don't want to read my text threads on air, but um, they. This went to some dark places. There's some real concern about the coaching on this team. Some of the stuff I led the uh, other night's podcast with. The medal of these dudes, these guys that haven't won anything yet, not just the Celtics, but in general, this is a league-wide thing. I've won nothing and it act like I have. And they kind of needed to lay the smack down today in the way that they did. So I feel a little better. Let's flip to the Hawks for a second, though. Mm -hmm. So there's a moment... At some point in that first quarter, Trey was like five for ten in the first quarter, he had like nineteen points. And I'm he sitting had 25 there twenty five at halftime, Bill. Yeah, twenty five at halftime. Well. And I'm thinking I'm gonna have to go on with Waz tonight, and I'm gonna have to admit defeat on Trey Young, <laughs> a guy that I completely wrote off after game two. And just in general, as somebody who's a complete defensive liability, mm-hmm. um, can't can't shoot threes nearly as well as people think, turn the ball over too much, all that stuff. And he was playing great. And he had that swagger back. Like, you could feel it. He he really seemed mm-hmm. like he was he had a performing. Staff, for sure, yeah. Yeah, performing for the crowd. Smiling. Um, you know, doing like his little finger hand gestures. And it felt like, man, Trey Young, in the course of a series, we wrote him off. And now we're going to have to apologize for him. And then he went one for 13 in the second half. And you fell know, apart. So some of these shots are just Trey Young shots that he just... He's just, you know, throughout the course of his career, he's decided he's a guy who takes 30-footers for no apparent reason throughout the course of a game. Um, And some of those didn't drop, of course. Some of his patented floaters, uh, his floater hasn't been as accurate this year as it has been in the past. That's been one of his, like, signature shots, honestly. One of the things that made him pretty deadly was the floater game. That wasn't really working. For me, it's more of a mentality um, more of an approach. Uh, his ball dominance and like whenever I'm not directly involved in the play doing absolutely nothing, yeah. I don't think it's justifiable when you combine that with the fact that he's one of the top three worst defensive players in the league, right? He has to be doing more. He has to be more dynamic. He can't just be, if I'm not directly assisting on something or shooting the ball, I do nothing he has to be more dynamic in order for his team to reach another level offensively. And it's gonna and that that has to be the case to justify how bad he is on the other end, right? I think guys because he's not a big man, and so you can mask his deficiencies on defense um in yeah. a myriad of ways. But to get his guys to want to play and back him up that way 
and cover up his deficiencies, he can't be this guy on offense, which is pretty selfish type of player. I think he has to change his approach in order to get to the next level because, you know, like, again, Steph is the ultimate example, but Steph does not dominate the ball. He could if he wanted to. He doesn't dominate the ball. He gets off of it. He uses his movement to set up other guys. He inspires his dudes to do the same, to play just as selflessly. It's like, I'm a top 10 guy ever in the history of this game, and look how selflessly I play. His guys can't help but play that exact same way. Trey doesn't inspire that kind of, you know, infectious sort of egalitarian uh, ethos amongst his teammates. His guys don't feel invested in what he's doing. And so to me, Trey has to change all of it in order to be more effective. I think there's enough there. We were probably too hard on him after game two. Like how many teams would want to trade a real asset for him and stuff like that on this podcast? Um, I was like, are there five teams? There's probably more than five that could talk themselves into it. I agree with you. It is not really since younger Westbrook have we seen a guy that takes more stuff off the table, but also brings stuff to the table, like real stuff. Real, on those on those high screens, he's really hard to defend. Like the Celtics, it almost discombobulated them because they were so concerned with making the right decision on the high screens with him. His lobs that he can throw both coming off the screen, but then also like when it seems like he's going to shoot and just like the way his brain works for those. And they have the right guys for that too. So there's that. And he's a really good passer, you know? Um, and he, and he's not afraid, which is another thing you'd want. Then there's all those other things like the sensible moment, um, the, the 29, 30 footers for no reason at all. The fact that a lot of times you see the other guys just kind of there's yeah, three guys on the court who just, <laughs> they're yeah, they're just kind of like, all right, I guess this is the part where Trish shoots again. So I don't know what to make of it, but I do feel better than I did after game two. I, th I don't think this series was a win for Trey Young, especially because they're like, oh, three straight 30 tens. It's like, all right, well, the, the 30 10 in game four, he, he had 22 points with less than two minutes left. They're down 12. And he scored 10 points in garbage time when, the, when it didn't matter. So if you want to give him 32 for that, I guess we have to. But um, I don't know. I don't feel like this was a win, but I don't feel like it was as big of a loss as I, I thought. Think, he kind of held up, but Boston has a lot of good guards. And I, I didn't feel like they were, like, destroying him. No, and, and I think he, you know, he, for the most part, they figured out ways to not make him look completely garbage uh, 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 until crunch time. Let's yeah. not get it twisted. They, they were getting wide open looks and every single time Trey Young was involved in the action at one point Marcus Smart literally just walked in for right. a layup like that that actually happened to he, me well he though, did it he had like four slashing kicks right down the middle so basically the same time. thing over and over again for me the question is I read the reports after Quinn Snyder got hired and there's this I did he's got a level of autonomy there and mm. I wonder if Trey Young has proven himself to Quinn Snyder because Quinn Snyder seems to be the guy that's coming with the juice in there. And he's got say in personnel. And I wonder if Quinn Snyder views that guy as a winning player. You know, a lot of coaches feel like, you know, I get that guy in my program with my winning philosophies. I'll whip that dude in the shape. A lot of people really believe in themselves in that way. I wonder if Quinn Snyder sees that in Trey Young or he sees him as a guy. I can't win with him. Um, guys are kind of annoyed by his antics. I already did the infighting stuff in Utah with Rudy and Donovan Mitchell. I want to do something different this time. 
Or it could be, th- I mean, a variation of the first thing you, you presented of there's talent here. I'm going to be the hero that taps into it the right way. Nobody's tapped into the talent correctly yet. It's going to be me, Quinn Snyder. I'm the I mean, one who understands how to unleash the beast of Trey Young. So you know, we've, we've all done this before in our dating lives. We meet a man <laughs> or a woman and it's like, this is clearly bad news and probably not going to work. We're like, no, I'm going to be the one that makes this person realize the greatness within. And then, you know, it ends in disaster and in a, you know, a cigarette habit. Well, this goes back to something I wrote in the trade value about when this new era of TikTok and Twitter, <laughs> when these two minute clips of people that we both watch way back when in the 1990s, 2000s or whatever, and you can make a montage of anybody and make them look incredible. And then the caption will be, you know, Stefan Marbury was a problem. And it's just two <laughs> minutes of him cooking people. And he looks like the best player on the earth. Trey's montage can be 20 minutes where yeah. in the yeah. year 2052, they'll be like, Trey Young, yeah, first yeah. ballot Hall of Famer. And the montage would be just him, 29 footers, him with yep. these lobs. And uh, I don't know. I, I, my guess is he would be worth more to the Hawks than he would be for another team. The only way you would really think about it, I think, is, is if you're in the Dame Lillard conversation. Because that's mm. one, you know, that there's been, that there's already some Brooklyn buzz with him. Mm. There's some, you watch, you watch uh, Miami playing without Tyler Hero. Mm-hmm. And you think, all right, could they patch together a little Tyler Hero Heroes, and put Lowry's expiring, mm-hmm. four first-round picks? Is Dame going to even want to get traded? A lot of this we won't know until the lottery. But I do think Trey's a trade piece that could be sold to the right fan base as you have had nothing the last few years. Now you have this guy. He made the conference finals a couple of years ago. I got to say, I was pretty impressed as somebody that had to root against the Hawks for six games there and thought the series was over after the first two. I was impressed by some of their guys, man. And Kongwu yeah. is a good, good, He's good, a good player. player. He's a playoff player. Um, Capella's fine to have in your rotation. Sadiq Bey, I think that trade was really nice. I've always liked Bogdanovich. Um, I think at some point he's going to have a moment on a team that makes a real run. Maybe he already had it on that conference final team. And then I mean, uh, my guy is, is John Collins. Been my guy for about two to three years now. Um, I've, I've been, (laughs) I've been waving this John Collins flag for so long, but the problem was, you know, he mangled his finger on his shooting hand. And so he was no longer a threat to shoot from three. And it's like that vastly decreases the guy's value. But then tonight I'm like, Oh, look at John Collins showing up, man. Like he plays so hard with so much force, you know, he's a lob threat. And when he's making his wide open three, he's like the perfect player Next to Trey Young, he can he can pop or he can roll. He's a ver- very versatile defender. Can switch out onto wings. Can give you a decent amount of weak side help. I've given this Collins spiel a million times, but tonight well, he, you know he you stopped saw shooting threes. Yeah. yeah, he couldn't make threes anymore. He is also the door A in the Kevin Durant son situation, where door A was basically they're going to trade for John Collins. And I, I don't even know what the trade was, but supposedly that was the road they were going down and probably didn't have to give up that much, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Door B was Matt Ishbia going in and going, wait, we can't Kev- Kevin Durant because you won't put Mikael Bridges in it? What? <laughs> yeah. Put Mikael <laughs> Bridges in the fucking trade. And now all of a sudden they're trading Bridges and Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder's corpse, four first rounders and... <laughs> 
a pick swap to get KD. I do wonder, like, watching Collins today and just in general, like, he's definitely a rotation player in the NBA. And if you had kept Mikael Bridges and you kept Cam Johnson and you also had Collins with the way Booker's playing, with Aiton, with Chris Paul, like, could that have still been a team that uh, is in the mix in the West in real way? I feel like maybe it is. If they kept their depth and was able to add John Collins, that would be a really, really good team. Um, and I think, to me, John Collins, he's not just like some rotational guy. I think he's a high-level four-man. Um, if he's making his right, three-pointers... If on. he's making his three-pointers at around 33 34%, if he's making threes wide open at league average, he is a high-level guy. And I know I sound like his agent sometimes, but it is... Um, Highly dependent on that three falling. Uh, but yeah, Phoenix deciding. I, I mean, it, it seems like it's working out pretty nice for them, don't you think? Yeah, I think they would do it again. But I also think Bridges, Johnson, and all the picks they gave up, at some point, you're going to have a moment. You now, if the this Lakers. going to be an SGA moment all over again? Oh, that would be the worst case scenario. Yeah. I mean, the Lakers did, have not had that moment yet with that New Orleans trade, right? It basically turned out to be Ingram and Dyson Daniels, and that's about it. I'm looking at the FanDuel odds. You're not a huge gambler, but you at least understand the concept yes, of, of odds. What do you think the odds are for Celtics Sixers with game seven in Boston? But so Boston would, has one, two, five, and seven. They're favored. What do you think the odds actually are in this series? I would say uh, minus 400. Mm. So it's minus 290. Mm. That's. It's a little, I got to say, a little higher than I was expecting. I thought it would be like minus 200, minus 210, something in that range. I guess part of it is people don't know if Embiid is Embiid's 100% got a all that knee, stuff. For but, sure. Yeah, yeah I think he's the, he's got a bum knee, but I, I don't know how. I don't see the, I don't understand the case for Philadelphia to win that series. Um, barring some catastrophic injury to one of the main guys on Boston. I, I I don't understand the Philly case at all. When you watch Harden not be able to get by a single person in isolation. Like, he is just, he's barely looking at the rim when he goes to the rack now um, yeah. as far as, like, trying to finish over guys. And he's so reliant on that step back, one, or two, praying that a defense is dumb enough to guard Philadelphia um, conventional, conventionally in the pick and roll, right? Um, and so, yeah, he's still got some of the most amazing. Can I give you the vision. case? Yeah, go ahead. I I, I love this, the pessimistic Bill case right now. No, I think the case would be Embiid is healthier than they're letting on, mm. and Maxi goes up a level. Like to mm. me, it's a Maxi series. Whatever their destiny in that series is, is Maxi becoming. Every year there's a guy in the playoffs who jumps. And we talked in part one that Booker, as weird as it sounds, because he probably was headed for at least second team all NBA, but he didn't play enough games. But and he was already, you know, the second best guy in a finals team. But it does feel like he's jumping. Then there's another guy that's not quite a jump yet, but then they make the jump from like really good starter to, oh, that guy looks like he's gonna be an all-star next year. Maxie's probably the pick of the eight teams left, right? Who else would it be? Maybe you could say if Jamal Murray keeps cooking and turns into Bubble Murray again. Um, I don't know who else. I guess I, I mean, some people Obi might Toppin? say Des- 
Desmond Bain might be one of those guys. Oh, that that's a good if one. If he's able to keep it push, keep it going, where you're like, oh, this is one of the higher quality two guards. He's not quite, you know, in the Devin Booker range or SGA range, but you know, guys that just straight up fill it up and and aren't a complete nothing on yeah. defense, like your, you know, Jordan Pools or your Anthony Simon types. Uh, I think Bain could really show himself. He saved them. The other night, he was the best player on the floor. The other night, um, least afraid against the Lakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think Bain is one of those guys that we might, after the playoffs, be like, "Oh, holy smokes, this guy is—he's a dude." I joked about Obi Toppin. I'm not joking about Mitchell Robinson. We talked about in part one. <laughs> Mitchell Robinson, maybe that's the so guy. Good. What if Man. he rips through Miami, if and, yeah, and if, kicks our asses? If he's a legitimate, you know, eraser, defensive player of the year type. Every single possession where guys are afraid to go to the rim and he's doing his stuff defending out in space as well. And he's just menacing people on the boards at every single turn. That is a such a potent weapon, man, and, and, and a revelation. And he's done it in spurts, by the way, in the past. It's just he's never been able to stay on the court. But Tibbs absolutely loves him and yeah. has unleashed him and unlocked his skills. And it's really fun to watch. Knicks are minus 160 favorites on FanDuel against Miami. The series spread, you can bet how many games it's going to go. I'm just locking it now. Seven games is plus 160. Just lock that in. Yeah. This series, like, just by law, has to go seven yeah. games. And, and at least three people are going to get suspended. And we know how <laughs> it's going to play out. If you had to pick, gun to your head, Miami or the Knicks in this series, who are you taking? I can't go against Jimmy, man. Um, I, I, I know, I know I was very disrespectfully dismissive of mm. the Knicks. I picked the Cavs to beat them in five games. I really thought they were just going to get grounded in the dust on offense. Their offensive rebound game would be shut down. Their transition game would be shut down and Cleveland's talent would overcome. I was painfully wrong. Sorry, Knicks nation. But the way Jimmy Butler is playing right now, and it's not like there's somebody on the Knicks who I think is going to just guard Jimmy Butler and, and, and put a stop to this. I, I just don't see how you pick against the best player since Jordan. I, I don't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> I think Josh Hart could, could at least make him put work. up a fight, for sure. Um, the fact that they have better rim protection yes. than, uh, than the typical team going against Jimmy Butler. I was going to say better rim protection than Milwaukee, but Milwaukee had Brooke Lopez and Giannis and it didn't seem to stop Jimmy. Um, I'd like the Knicks. Yeah, I, I hear you. They got the home court. They're playing. I just look at that Miami team coming off this absolute high against Milwaukee. Jimmy plays the greatest series of his career. They get all this three-point shooting from some unlikely sources. Like, they were relying on some people in that game that I think in a Knicks series, it might be a little different. You're in MSG, suddenly you're relying on Duncan Robinson, who's been in the attic for two years. Kevin Love, <laughs> who got weighed by the Cavs. You know, the Gabe Vincent, Caleb Barton. I, at some point, you're going to rise to the level of water that you're supposed to be in. And then the Lowry piece of it, I, I don't know. I, I really like the way this Knicks team is playing. And uh, I would probably say Knicks in seven if I had to bet. But I wouldn't bet on this series. To me, I, I want to watch like two games. I want to get a feel for it. Mm. I want to see how they guard Jimmy. I want to see the Josh Hart piece. I think Brunson can cook the heat. Um, 
And I want to see if the if the Heat three point shooting was just like super lucky for two games. That series might have said more about Milwaukee's deficiencies than how good the Heat are. You know. Yeah, I mean, there's something to one of the bottom half of the league three point shooting teams making half of half of their three point shots. That like that's I think there's something to that for sure. But I also um, I don't know that the Knicks are necessarily going to play Kevin Love off the floor, play Gabe Vincent off the floor, play Duncan Robinson off the floor. It's going to be up to guys like RJ and 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 Josh and all of these guys to really step up and make that a thing. Like, the Heat are going to spread them out. They're not going to allow Mitchell Robinson to just hang out in the paint all series. This is not, you know, Mobley and Jared Allen. These guys, they have to be by the paint. They they have no ways of being effective otherwise. I think tactically, Miami's going to present different problems for these guys because K-Love and even Bam to a certain extent out to 16-17, they're going to force Mitchell Robinson to play out in space more um, or else concede some wide open threes and, you know, Again, I don't want to. I don't think the, the Heat are going to kill these guys. I think the Knicks are plenty capable of beating them. But the guys that they're going to be counting on, people like Quickly and RJ and Toppin and even Mitchell, these are young guys in yeah. big spots. And we see young guys, you know, sort of fold in these situations all the time. And the Heat are really, yeah, that's you know, veteran laden. So, you know, I can't wait to see this, Bill. I can't either. I the Knicks really won me over in game four, game four and five for that Cavs series because I really thought they're going to win game five because I thought that's a mentally tough team that's going to get it and they're going to close them out and just be tougher. And they were. And I, you know, I think that's part of how you have to be against Miami. I didn't feel like Milwaukee is mentally tough against them. Jimmy out alphaed everybody on their team and right. talked shit to them. And Bam was probably, you know, the, the uh, second on the alpha scale. So I think the Knicks can match that. Golden State, Sacramento. You know, I watched the fourth quarter again, trying to figure out how Sacramento blew that game. And it was because of Fox, because Fox is hurt. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't Shoot just him. that the shooting was a little off. Like, his handle wasn't the same. Like, he had a turnover with, like, four minutes left. That was just just yeah, a dribbling and traffic turnover. Yep. He just lost the ball. And I think the Warriors, as that game went along, kind of figured out, oh, this guy's not exactly the same. And, and you know, Monk kind of kept them hanging around. I don't see the shooting from them. And I, it's not hard to pick the Warriors in six when they're at home. But I don't think this Kings team is the same team that it was three games ago. The Fox yeah. piece was the biggest piece to take them because he was so unstoppable. They had nobody who could handle him. And he didn't look like the same guy to me. Yeah, and I thought, you know, it's the Fox piece is tough because his dominant hand is hurt right now. But also, I thought Keegan Murray had sort of found some things in the previous game. And then he started off really nicely and sort of phased out. You know, those of us who are card-carrying members of Herder Hive, this has not been mm. a good series for us. Um, nope. Herder hasn't been able to give them anything. We and have he's Club one Carolina, of only- though. Yeah, exactly. We Club Carolina's going great. Has never been better. Club Carolina's, there's a line around the block. It's never been a trendier spot, that's for sure. Um, But yeah, Hurt is their best shooter, you know? Um, yeah. And the fact that he can't stay on the court because they're scared of how he's guarding guys, That's that's been tough tough to watch. I think they got to get offense from other guys who aren't Fox. They got to get some shooting. I don't know who they, that is. Yeah, that, I mean, that's tough. like, basically, it's you got to play Fox. If Herder's out, Monk and Mitchell, 
and then Sabonis and a shooter and just kind of hope you can get to 130. But I, I, the Warriors, I think they know. I think they got that Harrison Barnes shot, didn't go in. Game five, they with the SmackDown. I'd be surprised if Sacramento won game six with a Fox that's not healthy. And then Lakers-Grizzlies. Look, man, we're one Lakers <laughs> win away from Lakers-Warriors. <laughs> If the league was ever going to step in and shade a game a certain way against this Memphis team that's been a little problematic this season in L.A. on a Friday night, like, honestly, what are the odds of Memphis getting calls in this game six? Like, what are the odds? What are the odds that they shoot more free throws than the Lakers in this game? Um, I, you know, I think they got decent odds. They got guys that that get fouled. I think more importantly, this team is not showing themselves to be very mentally tough, Bill. Like, I don't oh, even think they're oh, going to need take? that. <laughs> <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't shown themselves to be, you know, of the testicular fortitude. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, it just it just hasn't hasn't been there for them. So a big game they, on the road. They look tough when they're up 20 at home, though. <laughs> that that chest goes it gets super puffed. Yeah, D- D- Dylan Brooks. Oh my lord! Ever since his I poke bears situation, yeah. it's been awful to the point where like I-, I shouldn't feel bad for the guy. I'm like, no, you're you're terrible now. You you can't yeah. make a shot. It's um, Nick. An- think- it's it's starting to feel Nick Anderson 1995ish. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I, it's like, I is think- your career going to recover from this? I'm not positive it will. Bro, I, I think hopefully on on. You know, in the future, he'll learn that he should never shoot, take 16 shots in any game whatsoever. But, you know, we'll see. About I thought you that. were going to say he's going to learn in the future. Feuding against LeBron is like fucking taking on Beyonce. Like, you might as well go on Twitter and say Beyonce's last album sucked. What are you doing? <laughs> you the hatred of 40 million Americans just cresting against you. You can't fight that karma. Yeah, that's that's tough. But LeBron, speaking of which, man, he's just he doesn't look right. Uh, he just physically, it's it's tough. He mustered the strength in overtime to get them over the hump, to put them up 3-1. But uh, throughout the course of a game, he's not attacking anybody. He's forcing up these jump shots. You know, he's barely making his rotations. Every now and again, he's able to summon the strength to, like, really gather, get a runway, and do a chase-down block. But he's... It's tough, man. LeBron has performed so many miracles in his career. You know, starting with the 29 of the last 30 points against Detroit. You know, of course, 2016, the bubble. Like, so many times he's pulled a rabbit out of a hat. He really needs to do one last magic trick to get these guys over. Because if they don't win game six, they're not going to Memphis and pulling that out. I don't see 11 finals. Too. 2005, 2010 against Boston. Wait, what conversation are we having? Um, I think the Lakers are beating Memphis and advancing, and we're getting Lakers Warriors. We're getting this final eight that's just out of control, where oh the Phoenix versus Denver is just going to be an elite, just can't turn away offensive series mm-hmm. with some great players in there. You have Lakers Warriors. You have Heat Knicks. Now we get we get the all the nineties early 2000s highlights, get those again. And then Celtic Sixers is probably the most famous long, long, long-term rivalry decade after decade that the league has. Because people would say Celtics Lakers, but there's been, you know, the you Celtics the Lakers. You finals to make that Yeah, happen, they, they didn't play in a playoff series for 21 years. The Celtics yeah. and Sixers going through the 60s, going in the 70s and the 80s over and over again. I think they played five times in six years. And, then they played in in the Iverson Pierce era. They played. 
Then they played in 2012, the last strand of KG and those guys. And then they played in the late 2010s too. It's like, this is, I think, the most consistently good rivalry the league has. And, uh, and there's a little extra mustard on it this year because, you know, if, if they wax the Sixers, I don't know what happens to that team. The right? Sixers? Yeah, I don't know where they go because what if Harden just leaves? Oh, he's just so and what thirsty if Embiid to go says, back to I'm Houston, out. Bill. Yeah, <laughs> and what if Embiid says, wait, who's left? I'm out. Trade me. Like, we know there's going to be two, three unhappy superstars this year. So there are some, some fun stakes, Waz. All right. I can't wait to uh, text you during these games. Thanks for staying up. Shout out to the Boston Heart Attack Celtics. This podcast was produced by Kyle Creighton. Thanks to Steve Cerruti as well. Thanks to Rob Mahoney. And thanks to Shield for coming on uh, part two as well. I will see you on this feed on Sunday. I'll also see you on Succession. 10.05 ET, right after episode six ends uh, on the Prestige TV podcast, Breaking It Down with Sean and Joanna. Enjoy the weekend.